So I think the mindset is you need to never stop. You need to always be recruiting no matter what. Even if you have a team of four people, you should always have an add up, always having a slow trickle of people coming in. You never know when someone's going to put their two weeks in or just not show up to work. And I think a lot of agents or new agents that are listening to this, they need to be really aware of the fact that, hey, listen, even if you work with a recruiter like myself and I set you up with three or four people, that's the beginning. They have the countdown timer of the turnover of them leaving you right off the cuff. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world, yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. On today's podcast, we have Gary Anzana. Gary is the founder and CEO of Top Tier Recruiting. On today's podcast, we talk about a lot of different topics and all around the most important asset in your business, and that is your people. And in particular, we talk about recruiting. So why is recruiting so hard? We talk about the factors that go into actually retaining top tier talent. We talk about the difference in sales and service recruiting. Where exactly should you place assessments in your recruiting process? A couple little tidbits around whenever you're posting job post to exactly so that people will find your post. We also discuss just a great interview question, his favorite interview question. And then finally, we talk about the most misunderstood part of the recruiting process. Without further ado, here's my interview with Gary and Zana. Wouldn't it be a great start to 2021 by having more leads in your book of business? Well, that's where our partners at Direct Clicks Inc. come in. Their team's dialed-in approach to running Google ads and online SEO campaigns maximize the quality and the volume of your leads, whether that's for inbound phone calls or even exclusive leads through your website. Direct Clicks Inc. works only with PNC insurance agency owners, so they have thousands of hours creating, A-B split testing, and improving online campaigns specifically for insurance. They also understand why each and every marketing dollar matters in providing true results, low paper clicks, transparency, and attention to detail, all of which is discussed in depth during your monthly review calls. Reach out to the Direct Clicks team at directclicksinc.com. That's directclicksinc.com and find out how they can make a difference in your approach to generating new business. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, We have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, 
way more than a CPA firm. Gary and Zana, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Thanks for even considering me, man. I appreciate it. So we always start with background and origin story. I think it's always great. I was on the podcast not too long ago and a guy said uh, the story behind the glory, right? And so I think everybody has a story. So why don't you tell us your story? How did you get to where you are today? Well, I had a late start. So I was 41 when I started my business. I grew up in a little town actually where my office is right now. It's called Spencerport, New York. I would say I probably learned how to work really hard through, I was on the wrestling team or one of the top ranked teams in the nation or in the state. And that taught me my work ethic. I'm not going to lie and say I was the best wrestler, but there's a lot of hard work you got to put into even just get on the mat. From there, went to school at SUNY Brockport. I was a waiter, a bartender. I went to school for education, worked in a school with uh, special needs kids for six years while I was serving and bartending, bouncing. Everyone kept telling me, Gary, you should get into sales. And I just didn't have the confidence in myself. And that kind of took me later. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But so I finally got my first real break in sales at this local company called Zbart. Gentleman named Tony Maticio, probably one of the best salespeople, best mentors I've ever had in my life, took me under his wing. He saw something special in me and he literally helped me chew my food, wipe my butt. He did everything for me for the first six months, held my hand. And the first week I made $600 on the books. I thought I was King Kong. I was beating my, here's a real paycheck. I'm no longer Gary the waiter. I'm Gary the salesman. It's kind of where I earned my identity. From there, I've had a bunch of sales jobs, which led me to my last employer, one of my competitors where they have a recruiting company. I was the national recruitment director. I was a salesman as well. And things didn't work out with us. They wanted to go in a different direction. And to be quite honest, there was many holes that I seen where I thought that it would be more beneficial to try a couple of different things. So honestly, out of sheer desperation in my basement, at the request of a couple of agents that I worked with, they said, you're really good at what you do. You should go on your own. Hmm. And honestly, again, there we go with the confidence. I did not have the self-confidence to want to start my business. Taking the leap into the unknown of entrepreneurship is probably the scariest thing ever. And every day, it's something I'm facing. It's still new to me. It's just about two years right now. So I started in my basement. I would probably call about 12 or 1300 people a month six days a week. I think it was like 60 or 70 bookings a day or people a day. So once I hit about 15,000 people, when I just was no longer seeing my wife and my daughter, and I'd go down in the basement for three days wearing the same t-shirt and pajamas for a number of days, you know, not shaving. And I'm just like, hey man, I think I need to hire some help. And I hired my recruitment director, Daniel here, probably the best thing I could have ever done in my entire life. And then from there, I hired three other people, One gentleman moved on to work for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Glazer properties. And so right now I have three and a half, three full-time and a part-time working remotely in Pittsburgh for me. And I'm just lucky to be here, man. I think the main thing that separates me from other recruiters or other businesses is I truly care about the people that I work for. In a way, it's kind of a weakness because I wish I kind of was more money motivated, but I'm more people motivated. So I've been blessed to live purely off of referrals. Right now, I'm booked out about a month and a half, and people are still telling me yes and prepaying. I'm just here for the ride, man. I'm just blessed to be here. So that's kind of my background there. So, you know, business at its core, it doesn't matter if you're insurance agent, recruiting company, et cetera. Business at its core is solving problems for people, right? No matter what the business is, you just mentioned this yourself about best decision you made for your company, hiring your recruitment director, Daniel. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is true for everybody listening to this, they know intuitively the most important asset, especially in a service-based business like insurance, 
is the people that you have on your team, without a doubt. And you don't have a team, you don't have a business. I mean, period, right? I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that. So there's so much that goes on with recruiting. I mean, right before this conversation, five minutes before I jumped on this podcast, I was working with an insurance agency owner and mentioned, hey, I found somebody, had a recruiting call with them. I want to ask you some questions about that and want to try to get some help. Why do you think recruiting is so hard? I mean, we're recording this at the very end of April 2021, and we've had several years of the economic boom. Obviously, we're just kind of coming out of the pandemic, right? But recruiting is really, really difficult. Why is that? Well, I think it's mindset. In regards to us on our end, I think, in my opinion, the hardest thing to do, at least in the recruiting portion, it's not calling people and booking them. It's actually getting enough people to go through to, to call and book. I think a lot of the agents, when they sign up for their, whether it be Allstate, State Farm, Farmers, whatever it is, and they're signing up for their agency and they sign the dive line and they're excited and they're filled with all sorts of excitement, I think a lot of them don't realize that you are now a recruiter yourself because this is a never-ending merry-go-round. ABH, always be hiring. The best insurance agents should always be doing that. And so the days of, hey, you know, I'm going to hire three people and they're going to stay with me until they retire. You know, the 1954 thought process, it just doesn't work. Agents say, well, I don't want to hire this guy. I think he's only going to stay with me for a year or two. I got news for you. What makes you think anybody's going to stay with you for a year or two? Most of these major companies, they have a 40% turnover rate in their sales teams. And that's their numbers. And I really think it's higher than that. So I think the mindset is you need to never stop. You need to always be recruiting no matter what. Even if you have a team of four people, you should always have an add up, always having a slow trickle of people coming in. You never know when someone's going to put their two weeks in or just not show up to work. And I think a lot of agents or new agents that are listening to this, they need to be really aware of the fact that, hey, listen, even if you work with a recruiter like myself and I set you up with three or four people, that's the beginning. They have the countdown timer of the turnover of them leaving you right off the cuff. If you can hold on to somebody for a year or two, I think you're doing a very good job in today's environment. Not to say that there aren't people that hold on to people for six, seven, eight years or forever. With a 40% turnover rate, you're effectively turning your entire agency over in two and a half years, roughly, depending on how many people you have on your staff. Why is keeping people so hard? Why is keeping people so hard? I think it's a matter of today's candidates, they need more positive reinforcement. They look for it. So if you think you're just going to plug and play people and go close your office door, it's not going to happen. I think they're looking for more mentorship. There's a little bit more handholding than it was, say, 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I had one of my first sales jobs at a local fitness center. I had my feet up on the desk and the boss asked me, he says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm waiting for customers to come in. I'm waiting for people to come in. And he answered that with throwing the phone book at me. He said, begin pick a letter and begin, start giving out two-week free memberships. Number one, can you imagine throwing a book at any of your employees right now without getting a lawsuit? Number two, give somebody a phone book right now to call out. It's just not going to happen. Also, two, pay. So many agents, they're so stuck on, well, I want to pay them a low salary and have them rely on commission. And there is some truth in that. And then they want to explain why their salary or base pay is so low because they have the best commission. And my retort to them is, how do you explain to a stranger how good your commission structure is who's never been in this business, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's okay. I think some of the better agents, believe it or not, and people don't want to hear this, but they are actually offering slightly higher base pay so people can have a living wage while they're learning. And let's be honest, a good salesperson shouldn't cost you any money. Whether you're paying them 500 a week or 1000 a week, not to say any agents are paying people 1000 a week, but the whole point is if they're making you money, making themselves money, that doesn't matter. 
So agents need to be ready to trim the fat when needed. But this all also boils over to mentorship. Are these people receptive to your coaching style? Some agents use Grant Cardone. Some agents use other forms of insurance sales training. Me, with all my guys, I had them on speakerphone on day one, calling people on my script. And I whispered in their ear like it's 1987, Wolf of Wall Street type thing, you know, that type of technology. And so too many agents just want to plug and play people. And I think the recruiting, the mentorship, the positive reinforcement and paying them well, don't look for ways not to pay them to hold back. Look for ways to help them earn more money. I think that'll help keep more people, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like sales. I mean, how big would your business be if you kept every customer that had ever tried you? Businesses would be huge. Turnover is incredibly costly. So it's one thing to actually recruit really good people, but it's a whole nother thing to actually keep, keep them. really good people. You know what I mean? So, I mean, you can hire, you can do it yourself. You can do it all kinds of different ways. But I mean, once you actually have recruited really good people, a player, so to speak, as what some people have said, you got to be able to keep and retain yes. those A players. Yeah. I didn't mention them. I got Jess, I got Eugene, Jake worked for me and Maria. They've been loyal to me without them. I'd be lost. And I let them know that. I find ways to bonus them out. I find ways to get them more work. I want them to have a livable wage. I want them to be happy. I can't be sitting here eating steak while they're eating peanut butter sandwiches. I used to work for a local tire chain, oil chain place. And those mechanics that worked for me, man, they were taking home two, $300 paychecks for 40 hours worth of work. I mean, it was kind of brutal. They worked on this flat rate system. And there were many times I actually cashed out my paycheck and handed it over to some of the guys so they could pay their bills because I cared about them. And also too, I wanted to keep them, <laughs> you know, I'd rather take a hit in my pay than see someone lose and not feed their family. Without my employees, without your employees, without agencies, employees, you're lost. Not a lot of agents, but there's an old school mentality of, well, they should be lucky to work for me. And we have such high standards and blah, 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 blah. Not to say high standards aren't good, but I think the old ways of managing people and recruiting it is not the same as it was two years ago, let alone 20 years ago. I'm going to oversimplify the business of insurance here and put it in two different buckets, a sales team member and a customer care team member, a customer service team member, right? Now, I realize that there are some agencies that run off of a hybrid system. They have marketing directors, they have executive assistants, they have office managers. So we're not going to get into all those. We don't have time for all that. So what do you see as the biggest difference from whenever you're recruiting a salesperson and a customer service person? And how does the recruiting process need to evolve, if at all, or change to actually be able to recruit and make sure that you're attracting the right people for each of those positions? Well, one thing I've noticed is, regardless of who's applying, everybody says they're a salesperson, unless you're applying for a customer service job. And so people all end up on different ends of the spectrum. Some are more service motivated, some are more sales motivated, but I really believe in it's what they want. You have your personality tests and the selling tests and all these things. You can use those. But in reality, it's people that want. They have to want to be here. They have to want to either take care of people. They have to want to outbound dial and call strangers and offer them services that they weren't prepared to talk about at that moment. So, you know, you have that classic hunter and gatherer person. You also have that classic nurturing person. And there's people that all, they line in, in different spectrums of that. So, in reality, we can all talk about strengths and weaknesses of people, and we all make our most educated guesses during the recruiting process. But I'm a firm believer of putting people in the seats. The real test is it's consistency. Can they consistently come in every day? Are they on time? Is your talk time zone? Are they giving you excuses why they can't do this and why they can't do that? 
Are they outside having cigarette breaks? Are they on Facebook? And if they are on Facebook, they better be asking people what they pay for car insurance, right? Or house. So to get a little deeper into it, the difference between sales and service, I think it's just the hunter-gatherer mentality versus more of a nurturing mentality. But again, there is no sales without service and there is no service without sales. And some of the best service people know how to cherry pick and know how to ask the right questions to either transfer that call to a good salesperson or close the deal themselves. I really do think they interlap quite a bit, service and sales. So I really think it depends on what people's motivation is. And it also depends on what they want. Some people want a lower salary and a higher commission. Some people want a higher salary and a lower commission. You can ask that during the interview process. Hey, what's more important to you? Would you rather have a higher commission and a lower base pay or vice versa? That's a nice little way to fish out service versus sales. You mentioned something about assessments and people use DISC. We were talking about Steve Suggs with CTS. Mm -hmm. Uh, Colby, we're big fans of Colby. Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, Strength Finders. I mean, like I could, I don't even know how many that is. I just named off and I probably missed some. Where do assessments in your mind play into the recruiting process, if at all? Well, I think it's where you want them to be. Okay. Now, if you're asking me, how do I use assessments? I use assessments after the final interview because I like to use them as an indicator, not the end all be all. I've talked to agents that have hired against assessments and they've had great results. I've talked to agents that hire against the assessments and have had poor results. Again, the true test is getting these people in the seats with consistency and outcome. So the way I like to do it, the way I like to have my agents do it is I have a five touch system. The first touch is allegedly the candidates read the job post, but in reality, they're skimming it for the features and benefits for them. These candidates are blasting out 20 or 30 resumes in a pop. And so they're just looking what's in it for them. Number two, that second touch is the most important touch is that when we reach out to them and we organically call them and speak to them, okay, and interview them over the phone. The third touch is the group interviews. The fourth touch is the organic phone call the agent makes after that group interview. And the fifth touch is the in-person interview. Where I like to put the assessment is immediately after that fifth touch which is after the in-person interview, because I want the agent to have their gut feeling about who this person is. And then afterwards, use that test as an indicator. So that's where I like to have it. But I see benefits in putting it before. But the way I recruit with such a high volume, to be quite honest, it just doesn't fit in my process to sit there and send out assessments left and right to people. Also, too, if you ask many agents, because people are like rapid firing resumes out there, a lot of them skip over the assessments. And, you know, us salespeople, we got some ADD, we got the quickness issues. And I know when I was two years ago, when I was starting my company, I was still throwing resumes out there. When I got to some of these, if it was a quick apply, I'm in. If it's one of these 20, 30 minute assessments and all this stuff, I'd skip those. I'm a numbers guy. So I would just hammer out a lot of those. And a lot of agents tell me out of 10 candidates, maybe two or three actually take the assessment. Well, if you get them in the office and, and have your interview, have them take the assessment afterwards. 10 out of 10 are going to take the assessment. If I was going to, let's say that I'm listening to this and I've had a team member, let's just say a team member moved out of state, right? Sales or service, it doesn't really matter. And I needed to go through and I need to make a post, right? I mean, I know, let's say that's a salesperson. I know I need to hire another salesperson. I've got mm-hmm. a position to fill or I'm just wanting to grow my team so that we can produce more. Okay. What is your best tip? on the actual post itself. And what I want to frame here is there's a concept in marketing, like with Facebook ads, it's a hook, right? So what's the hook to get somebody to look? So whenever you're scrolling Instagram or Facebook, 
these people are spending a lot of money to put things in front of you, ads through retargeting, et cetera, to basically put an ad in front of you to get you to click on that ad. And I think that the kind of the same concept is very similar to somebody is looking for a job. Maybe they're in a position they don't like and they're just looking for something else or they're trying to take their career or maybe they're moving, whatever. There's got to be something that makes them say, you know what, I'm going to take a look at that. I'm going to take a look at that position, actually read that. What's your best tip? Well, I think you can always change your titles. There's titles on any of these job ads, whether you're on Indeed, ZipRecruiter, Craigslist, Glassdoor, whatever it is. So I would suggest, because each area is different, I would very much suggest experimenting with different titles. You don't just have to say sales representative. You have inside sales, business sales development. I mean, uh, sales consultant. I mean, it depends though. It depends on who you're working for, because uh, as an example, Allstate, I have a lot more leeway with titles and State Farm, I can only do certain titles or these job forms won't let me post the, the titles. So there's a little bit of trial and error in that. Also too, anything that says sales in the title, you're going to get some salespeople and want to be salespeople that apply. But what's really important is, is that first paragraph, because again, many of these people, they're skimming through. Many of these people don't read the full job post. Honestly, myself, I'm probably red-handed with that. I don't think I've read every single job post that I applied to. I quick skim it, this looks good, and I'm hammering out 20 or 30 in a pop. I think being vague is straight garbage. When I see my other competitors putting up 50 to 90,000, it's too vague, it's too spread out, it's just not right. People see through that and they wonder why they have one person applying. If you have base pay and there's a range between a new person and an experienced person, put that in there. What does your average rep make? What does your top rep make? Give them real numbers, right? This is what our people make. If you have the benefits, do that. Put it all up in that first paragraph because that's what is going to draw people's attention, okay? They already know all the rest of it. Oh, PC literate, good with people, customer service skills. And as a side note, I have the word sales in all my job posts no less than, I want to say, seven or eight times. And by the way, they're highlighting it, okay? In case anybody didn't know it was a sales job, it clearly says sales bolded. Yeah. So yeah. you need to appeal to what people want. Today's candidates are more savvy and they're more choosy. They're more like tire kickers. There's a ghosting phenomenon. You know, we have our pandemic with the COVID and the other pandemic is the no call, no shows. This is today's environment. This is what people have to be doing. They have to always be recruiting. How many times do agents hire two or three people and one or two of them fall off in the first week or so, or just don't show up to the interview or show up to their first day of work? I know the group interview is a real key component of your process. For someone listening to this that's never done a group interview whatsoever, they've never done that. It's always been kind of one-to-one on the phone with one person at a time. Just what can you tell that person that's maybe skeptical, I don't know, but or maybe it just has never experienced it. What are the pros and cons of at least implementing and having a group interview as part of your process? Well, the pro is for time. Listen, you're an agency owner. You just spent a thousand bucks on Indeed this month and you just wasted 30 of your hours to book 15 people. And you, a busy business owner, put 15 hours across your schedule to interview these people and less than half show up. What's the return on your investment? Yeah. Not too good, right? So group interviews kind of help out with the no call, no shows because typically our company has a 50% show rate. We've had them up to 75 and 100, but let's just say 50 is our baseline. If I set you up with an interview with 10 people and five show up, Now the return on your investment is five times the hour you just put into it. Yeah. Right. That's definitely a pro. Also too, when you talk about a con, I think a con would be if the groups are too big. I know some of my competitors, they put up 30 or 40 people on a group interview. How the heck are you going to sit there and vet 30 or 40 people in a group interview? 
Mm-hmm. It has to be somewhat manageable. Now, as far as many agents that have never done it or they're a little cautious about doing it, every single one of them is cautious doing it. That's why I personally get on Zoom or one of my directors here. We get on Zoom and we're going to coach people one-on-one. We're going to coach you how to do the group interviews. We're going to coach you with best practices interview questions. We're going to coach you on the technology. We're going to coach you on the format. We've helped mega agents all the way to single little timid mouse agents that can barely talk over this. And it's all about selling yourself, the opportunity, and the agency. I mean, many of these, all states, state farm, farmers, Geico, these are big brand names. The names sell themselves. But anywhere you go as a salesperson, what do you sell first and foremost? Yourself. So a lot of these agents have to almost kind of pair back a little bit to when they first started in sales. And remember what it was like to sell yourself. Some of these agents, they've been in business so long, it's like they almost forgot how to relate to the common man. When some agents out train them, you know, they want to talk about their airplanes and their Rolex watch collections and their summer homes and things. And the truth is your entry level to mid-level salesperson cannot relate to that. So what I do is I coach my agents how to pair it back. 15 years ago, when you first became an agent and you were a 30-year-old young couple just having your kids, why did you choose this agency? Why did you choose this company? What are the benefits that you're getting out of this that these people want to share? Okay. There is a single mother in this audience that not only wants to feed her children, but be there while they eat and watch and be maybe have a meal with them. There is a used car salesman in this audience that hasn't had a dinner with his wife since the 88 El Dorado came out. And there's a college kid in this audience that thinks the minute they graduate with their underwater basket weaving degree, they're going to start immediately with an $85,000 job working banker's hours, right? And I want all of these people to pull the thread to what this agency owner is saying. And it's more than just a static base pay plus commission job. Many of these jobs have nights and weekends off. It's a lifestyle. Who here would like to have dinner with their family every night? Who here would like to have weekends off? What a great pulling. Very few jobs can you work banker's hours and still make the type of money you can make in insurance sales. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, for sure. Right. So I believe that fully. Help me with this. I am an insurance agency owner around the country. Let's say I'm in Seattle, Washington. I've got a good friend up there. And you're working with someone down in South Florida. And let's say that their personalities, the area, the people are just totally different. And so everybody understands intellectually, like how important culture is. Well, you don't know my culture, right? And so I need help. I need help. And I realized that, you know what, I've tried to do it this way. I've had a lot of turnover the last few years. So I'm looking for something different. As I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like, well, yeah, but I know how important culture is, but you don't know my culture, Gary. And I can't fly you to Miami or Seattle just for you to come spend a week with us to get to know my culture so that you could find the right fit. How do you help find the right people for an insurance agency owner without understanding what their culture is? Well, first and foremost, I'm a pretty hands-on guy. I get pretty friendly with my agents. I mean, everybody has my cell phone number. I'm half of three quarters of us, 99% of us are all Facebook friends. And number one, I'm a pretty good pick on personality. I kind of get a good read of people's personalities. But the biggest thing is, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, I can't vet for your culture. What I can vet for is skill sets, aptitude, excitement, motivation, urgency. We love urgent salespeople. I don't want slow people that want to, oh, you want to call back later? Oh yeah, let me call you back later. No, no, I want to sell it right now. I want urgent salespeople, right? I want coachable salespeople. So the way my system is set up, I lead those people in and then who better to vet for the agency's culture than the agency owner, right? So 
that's exactly it. I tell agents that, listen, I'm going to find the skill sets. I'm going to find the coachable, trainable, hungry sales, motivated people. Yeah. And then you need to vet for your culture. Part of that is when you get in that one-on-one interview, you know, when they come into the office, how do they interact with the rest of the team? Hopefully they get to meet the team. How do they interact with the agent? What does the agent feel about them? So to be quite honest, it's all about the agent has to vet for culture. You know, we bet on the front end, the agent has to bet on the back end. With us, the agent doesn't have to look into, well, do they have any sales abilities or do they have any leadership skills or how do they work well with people? Or we've already been through all that. We interview each person over the phone before we even bring them to group interviews. So from there, through organic discussions, and there are some talk paths that I help agents with to get a feeling. But again, this all goes back to, hey, we're all making our best, most educated guesses. And the true test is, are these people coming in consistently? Are they gelling with the team? Are they closing deals? Do they have analysis paralysis? Are they keeping their talk times up? So again, we do all the best, most educated guesses, but the true test is really getting their butts in the seats. All right. So I'm going to pull it out of you. What's your favorite interview question to ask? Oh, it's easy. So when I first started this, I'd have agents say, well, so what makes you get into insurance sales? And look, that's the most inauthentic question ever. Let's be honest. I typically stop recruiting when I have a couple hundred resumes. Out of those couple hundred resumes, how many of those people you woke up and said, I want to sell for XYZ insurance agents? Mm -hmm. I guarantee you none of them. What they did was they said, hey, I'm a salesperson and I am looking to use my skills. I need a vessel or tool to use my skills to make money, right? So the first question I like is, I like an authentic question. And this question is this, why are you here? Why sales? Either you're a glutton for punishment like half of us, right? Or there's something intrinsically motivating that makes you dig selling. Why do you dig sales? Mm. Okay. And here's the deal. I tell agents to take notes on this because at the end of the day, now if somebody tells you money, right? It's kind of a split. Agents say, oh, well, I love greedy salespeople. Other people say, that's not a, I don't like that. But for whatever you do or don't like, right? A one word answer isn't good enough. So anytime in sales, when a customer tells you no, or someone gives you some quick answer, you need more information. What do you ask them? Ask them why. So, oh, okay. Money's a motivating factor. Money buys options. What are you looking to do? Well, I got four kids. Aha. There's your why statement. Oh, I'm saving up for a house. Ah, there's your why statement. Because at the end of the day, I think you could agree with this, Bradley. I think it's easier to motivate people and coach people by what motivates them. It's easier to hold them accountable to what they want versus what you want. But as a side note, they mirror each other. You as the agency owner, you want growth, you want success. And guess what? So do these people too. So if you speak it in their language, I think you can get more out of people. What's that? That's great. Last question. What is the most misunderstood part of recruiting. So whenever you're talking to business owners and you're hearing them and you realize, you know what the thinking behind that, right? We talk a lot on this podcast around mindset. So I really want my last question to be around mindset towards recruiting and kind of you've seen as, I mean, maybe it's a myth, right? I mean, the thing that you see, it's like, ah, you know what? I've got to change the mindset of this business owner before we actually do anything. Their mindset towards recruiting people is not where it needs to be. What is that? Yeah, it's the old school mentality of they should be lucky to work for me. No, no, you're lucky they work for you. Go with that mindset. You'll get more out of them. All right, you ready for the world famous E9 rapid fire? Oh boy, let's do it, baby. The last book that you read. It's Now O'Clock by William Garcia. Oh, I haven't heard them. I tend to be a quick thinker. 
if I'm here right with you now, I tend to be thinking about the future or about the past. I have a hard time being in the moment. So knowing that's a hole in my skill set, it was a really good book. I just happened to just come across it and really good book. What's the book that you would recommend the most to other business owners? Number one, Gap Selling by uh, Keenan. I've had the pleasure to speak to him on the phone. I've had the uh, pleasure to talk to him on LinkedIn. He's got the number two selling book behind Jeb Wount, number two the sales book. It's all about delving deeper, knowing customers' current state, finding out where they want to be, solving their problems, and asking the right questions. I've listened to it on Audible at least six or seven times. I've had my guys listen to it. And then of course, dude, Grant Cardone, the 10X rule, sell or be sold. I mean, the first time I heard Grant Cardone on that Audible tape, I was 40. A gentleman named Bill turned me on to Grant Cardone. He was working for the agent that I used to work for. And I seen my friend Bill, you know, he was a salesman like me at that place Z-Bart a while back. And I just seen him on social media. He's got a new suit on. He's got a team of people under him. And he just, I could tell he grew exponentially from when I knew him. And I said, what is your secret? And he says, oh, this Grant Cardone. And I'm like, oh, this sounds like a BS, whatever, whatever. And just one day I decided to get Grant's Audible book and it changed my life, man. It was, he spoke to my inner salesperson straight to my heart. And I was hooked. I was hooked on self-development after that. Because after you go through all the Grant's books, who do you do? Well, then there's Brian Tracy, there's Jim Rohn. So I've been huge into these self-help books and now I've kind of like parried away from it. And I'm doing some more like mindfulness books. So I, I can't think of just one, but I would say the two that stick out in my head is Gap Selling by Keenan. And then the second one would be any of the Grant Cardone books, Seller Be Sold, 10X Rule. What's the hardest part of being a small business owner? Tying in my identity to what I'm doing. I put a lot of responsibility on my shoulders and I think we're actually harder on ourselves than the agents are on us. Also too, you know, I've been a salesman, I've been a manager my whole life, but being a business owner is a whole different ball game. When you're working for somebody else, Okay, it's five o'clock and oh, okay, let me take this extra half an hour call. I never was one to like leave exactly at the bell. But when I go home, it's still with me. This business is still with me. It's on my phone. I'm getting 10, 20 agents calling me, texting me, LinkedIn and me, messaging me on Facebook almost every day. My cell phone is literally turned into Grand Central Station. So also too is time management. I believe I got a late start. I'm 43 now, almost two years into my first and hopefully my only business. Well, not only, but hopefully I keep this, but managing time for my three-year-old daughter, managing time for my wife, managing time for the rest of my family. Through this process, our whole office got COVID. My mother ended up contracting COVID. I lost my mom just over January. But here's the thing though, I worked straight through it. I never took a, a day off. And in a way it was kind of therapy because the work keeps my mind off of it. But it's a constant balance that that's something I need to work on is balancing my work-life balance. When I come home, my wife doesn't want to hear about top tier all day, but it's on my mind all the time. And so I'm learning that right now. I'm actually scheduling time for my daughter. We have daddy-daughter days. I try to do at least two a week, usually on a Sunday or a Monday. I'm trying to schedule time for my wife. I have to put it on my schedule or I'm booked from 9 a.m. till 7 at night almost every single day. So I think time management and knowing when to take a step back. There's been some days, Dan, you could agree with me on this, <laughs> is some days I just don't come into the office. Just let the guys do their thing. Just back off a little bit. Sometimes you got to take a step back to take a step forward. What's the one thing that you learned the most about yourself during the last, say, year and a half with, uh, or almost a little over a year from COVID? 
I can take a beating. What's your favorite tech tool or app that you use every day? Can't say your iPhone. I don't know. I listen to SoundCloud a lot. I mean, Facebook has got me at least a third of my business. I mean, I'm literally glued to Facebook all day, if I'm being honest. LinkedIn, there's some really good content and value from other people in the business uh, that I get on LinkedIn. A little bit different than Facebook. Well, we use Calendly for our office here. We use Zoom every single day. Indeed, ZipRecruiter, CareerBuilder. A lot of them. When you're not working, what do you love to do in your spare time? Spend time with my daughter. Spend time with my wife see my family and I'm not doing it lately, but you know, get my butt back in the gym, get rid of this dad bod here. You know? <laughs> but the most special time I can ever spend is with my daughter. It's, yeah. it's like time stands still, just going for a walk at the zoo or to the museum, just letting her hold my hand. And you know, there's some times I'm stuck on the phone and I'm like, oh, there's something we worked here. So I got to cut in the back. And then I look at her and she's painting on the table behind me. And I think, you know what? One thing I learned from the loss of my mom is how many more times do I get a chance to paint with my daughter? Yeah. Gary, put the phone down, go over there, and we painted the other day, and we did gave each other little uh, stick-on tattoos. Yeah, it's the best thing ever, man. If you could sit on a 10-hour flight with anyone dead or alive and hmm. pick their brain, who would it be? Keenan or Grant Cardone, I wouldn't mind sitting with them. And uh, Jim Rohn, he'd be a good one. Favorite place you've ever traveled to? Italia. Yeah, that's great. What part really? of it? We were in parts of Sicily. I'm trying to remember, oh my gosh, it's been about 10 years. Where the heck did we go? We went to... Um, my wife and I went to, for our uh, honeymoon when we got married, right at 13 years ago, we went to Florence. Well, we went to Florence, Rome, Venice, and Lake Como. But Lake Como and Florence, two of our favorite places in the world. Can't wait to go back. We were in Venice for a couple of days and that was really fun. You know, I went, uh, my sisters and my brother, you know, they're a little bit younger than me, 10 to 15 years. We went out clubbing out till four in the morning. Their bar food is crepes. So mm -hmm. at the end of the night, they have little crepe stands out on like those uh, stone walkways. I don't know if you ever yeah. got any of those. And there was a town in uh, Southern Sicily that I'm not gonna remember now. And it was amazing. It's where all the movie stars go. It was just the most gorgeous. I mean, the people were gorgeous. The food was gorgeous. The sky was gorgeous. Yeah. Last question. It is the Clip Capital Leadership Podcast. After all, what is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? There's a gentleman named Daryl who I used to work for at this tired place. And I got hired by corporate to be the sharpshooter, to be the sales guy. And he sat me down one day and said, listen to me. He says, you're not here to sell to anybody. You're here to take care of everybody. And I was on the old school method. Oh, you paid me, I'm out the door, bye, right? when I was a younger kid and he taught me to take care of people. So true story, six months into my assistant manager role before I took over the store, I was a little depressed. I'm sitting there, I'm like, I haven't sold anything. All I'm doing is helping people. I'm a glorified customer service agent. And then it dawned on me, in this business, usually those selling techniques uh, usually get about 20 or 30% of the people coming back with complaints and having to deal with complaints. I had dealt with zero complaints in six months of being behind the counter in an oil change tire rotation place, okay? And it dawned on me, oh my gosh, this makes sense, take care of people. So when he moved on and I took over the store, that's all I did was take care of people. We increased our profits by over 40 or 50 grand that year. Uh, not bad for being a new guy. It was just all about taking care of people. And I translate that into taking care of my agents. So I don't know if you wanna consider that a leadership question, but I think a true leader, takes care of people, not only just the customers, but he takes care of his, of his employees. Gary, somebody wants to work with you. What's the best way? I know you mentioned LinkedIn, Facebook, a lot of different places to be able to find you or 
your company, what's the best place that you would want people to be able to reach out and see how they can connect with you and how you can help them? You can go to toptiergary.com. Somebody bought Top Tier Recruiting and Consulting. So thank you, whoever that was. Or Gary, the hire guy they bought. Thank you, whoever that was. But so Top Tier Gary is uh, my website. And then if you want to get a hold of me, you can always call 406-RECRUIT. That's 406-RECRUIT. 406-RECRUIT. All right. And toptiergary.com. Toptiergary.com. Gary, it's been great having you on the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me here, Bradley. A couple of things that stood out to me in this interview with Gary, and I've seen this in businesses myself, is that 10 years ago, people were a lot more willing to accept a lower base salary for higher commissions. And it's really changed over the last 10 years that, of course, you want to still have an incredible compensation incentive plan that motivates them and encourages them. But that base salary, the expectations have really gone up. And I know many of you may have some systems and processes in your office that you're still paying some lower best salaries. But in general, the thing that I've heard from pretty much everybody and experienced myself is that base salaries are going up. And Gary talked about that. Gary talked about his five touch system. At the end of the day, regardless of what the system is, it's important that you actually have one. What are the steps in the process that are the non-negotiables? You're always going to do a phone interview, a face-to-face, a team interview, an assessment, or something like that. Some basic system that no matter what, if you find yourself in an alert, you're always going to at least make sure that you go through this checklist of things along the way and not skip steps. Now, this last note is really more of a personal one for me. I do believe fundamentally that your team, regardless of the business that you have, is the most important asset that you have. And so investing your time and your money into those assets, into finding great, what I would consider A players, is maybe one of the best uses of your time, energy, and resources that you could have in your business. At the end of the day, you've got to put in the time. You've got to put in the time to pour into the most important part of your business. And we all know that, but do we actually do it? And look, if you've realized that you don't have the time, you know, reach out to Gary and see what he and his team can do. Go to toptiergary.com or reach out to them 406-RECRUIT, 406-RECRUIT. You know, once you get really good people, you got to be able to funnel them leads, right? Say you get those A players, but they don't have people to call. They don't have good quality leads coming into the business. Well, how are you going to find good quality leads? I think one of the best ways you've got to be able, we talked about on the podcast with Gary, having a presence and making sure that the hook that you have is really good for people to find your job posting. Well, the same thing is true, maybe even more true whenever you're looking to find leads. And one of the best ways to do that, have a really good online presence, whether they're finding you through organic searches on the internet, you got to make sure all the directories are lined up and your name is consistent. And there's just a lot of things that go into those organic searches. Make sure you have good Google reviews. And if you don't know how to do that, it's best to be able to work with a professional, somebody that knows your business just in and out. They know your business because it was built by an insurance agency owner. Reach out to our friends at Direct Clicks Inc. They can help you. They care about your business. They're going to really dig into what are the goals that you have and what's the right SEO or PPC, pay-per-click strategy that's going to be there for you. And they can help you with both. So reach out to our friends at directclicksinc.com. Have a conversation with them. I think that you'll really see how much they care about the people, but the transparency that they put into making sure that you know exactly where each dollar of your marketing spend goes to. Directclicksinc.com. You know, the other day I was talking to a business owner that just did not have a handle 
on their finances. They just did not know where the money was going. They had grown their business, but their personal income as the business owner was not going up. Have you ever had that situation? You ever grown your insurance agency or other business that you may have and you've grown it, maybe even doubled revenue over a period of time, but your take-home pay to the business owner is not going up. Well, it's maybe because you're just not getting the kind of perspective and the kind of right optics that you need to be able to make better decisions in your business. Because as a business owner, you've poured a lot of time and energy, time most importantly, into your business. And so you want to be able to know that you're growing your insurance agency. But you just don't know, don't know how to use those financials because they're not put in a perspective for you to be able to make better decisions. And that's where Club Capital comes in. So go to club.capital, book your free demo so that you can actually see that Club Capital can come from less of a thing that you've looked at, you know, your financials once a year with your accountant just to do your taxes, but actually it can become the strategic generator in your business to help you make better decisions so you can make more money and maybe in some cases, and hopefully start begin to bring more money home for you and your family. Go to club.capital to book your free, no obligation demo. Hey, if you're loving the podcast, consider sharing it with a friend, shoot them over an episode. What's one of your favorite episodes that you've had? And that helps us to be able to spread the word of what we're trying to do. We put a lot of effort into trying to make these podcasts as impactful as can. We respect your time. We know that you're listening to this, driving to work or while you're at the gym or maybe while you're raking leaves or doing the yard work. And so we know that your time is valuable. And so consider sharing it with another friend that you may have, another business owner, another insurance agency owner, or even your team. Hey, don't miss an episode. Go to club.capital forward slash podcast. Subscribe to our email newsletter we send out every week so that you can get the details of when a new episode has dropped. Until next time, lead well.